John 13, verse 36. Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord our God, these are heady promises that we can ask anything of you and that you will do it. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would change our hearts so that we may ask things that would bring glory and honor to your holy name. Lord, give us great patience as we live on this side of heaven and lead us there, Lord God, through your mighty hand. We thank you for Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life. I pray, Lord God, that you would apply that truth to us now by your Spirit, that we might come alive in your Spirit, that we might live differently because of the gospel of your grace. Hear us, Lord God, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying this week, I came across an idea which is very simple and yet I think quite profound. And it's this idea that almost everyone believes in heaven. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a book called Heaven, a 500-page book that I hope to finish someday before I go to heaven myself, said this. The sense that we will live forever somewhere 
has shaped every human civilization in history. Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was an island in the faraway east. Mexicans, Peruvians, and Polynesians believed that they went to the sun or the moon after death. Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, their spirits would hunt the spirits of the buffalo. The Romans believed that the righteous would picnic in the Elysian fields while their horses grazed nearby. Seneca the great Roman philosopher said, The day that thou fearest as the last is the birthday of eternity. Although these depictions of the afterlife differ, the unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is belief in life after death. Anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given, innate sense of the eternal, that this world is not all there is. It probably doesn't surprise you that Christians have been singing a lot of songs about heaven for many, many years. I'll fly away when the roll is called up yonder. Heaven Song by Phil Wickham. Meet Me in Heaven by Johnny Cash. But you might be surprised that even people who don't believe in Jesus at all sing songs about heaven. Tears in heaven, stairway to heaven, knocking on heaven's door. Heaven is a place on earth, just like heaven, wrong side of heaven, you get the idea. There are movies about heaven and the afterlife, from heaven can wait, to field of dreams, to ghost, to the sixth sense. It's a Wonderful Life, Coco, Soul, and of course, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Starring not only Burt Reynolds and Lonnie Anderson, but Dom DeLuise, Charles Nelson Reilly, and the great Vic Tabak, who played Mel on Alice. Do any of you remember that show? No? Just me? Moving on. There are a lot of books about heaven. We have Imagine Heaven, The Real Heaven, 90 Minutes in Heaven, Five People That You Meet in Heaven, A Place Called Heaven, Fight Like Heaven, and of course, The Berenstein Bears Learn About Heaven, which I will not be quoting today because it is, at best, theologically questionable. The Bible does not teach that talking bears will become angels in heaven. And I know this because I went to seminary. <laughs> Naturalists believe that nobody goes to heaven. Universalists believe that everybody goes to heaven. Roman Catholics believe you go to purgatory, which is kind of like heaven. And Buddhists believe that eventually everyone experiences nirvana, which is nothing at all like heaven. To borrow an old line, uh, line from an old spiritual, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. To borrow a line from the Apostle Paul, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, these things God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I am personally invested in the idea of what the Bible says about heaven because I hope to go there someday. And because many of my friends 
have already gone there ahead of me. And I hope that all of you will join me in heaven. I want us all to be together in the glorious land of heaven. Now, does Jesus make our earthly lives better? Absolutely. There's a lot of great things about being a Christian. I love being a Christian. Being a Christian is a great and glorious thing. But it's also important to remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Heaven is a great place, a glorious place. Heaven is, in the words of Jesus, paradise. How do we get there? Does everyone go there? How do we know the way? These are some of the questions we'll be asking this morning as we come to one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. This passage is right up there with John 3.16 and Psalm 23. It's a passage that comforts us and encourages us because it's a passage about heaven. Now, as we walk through the passage together this morning, I want us to, we won't say everything that there is to say about heaven. That would be impossible in the scope of this sermon. But we will say three things about heaven, three things that I hope will encourage all of you as much as they encourage me. Now, if you're taking notes today, you want to jot down where we're going. Here's our outline. First, the problem. Why do we need to go to heaven? Was Belinda Carlisle right? Is heaven just a place on earth? Fact check, false. Number two, the place. What should we expect once we get to heaven? Streets of gold, pearly gates, rooms, mansions. Will we get to meet famous Christian celebrities like Chris Pratt and Tim Tebow and those Duck Dynasty guys? Will there be tiny little baby angels with tiny little baby wings playing tiny little baby harps once we get to heaven? Maybe. Third, the path. How do we get to heaven? Is heaven for some people? Is heaven for all people? Is heaven for good people? Is heaven for forgiven people? What did Jesus mean when he said, I am the way? Is he one way to heaven, or is he the only way to heaven? Heaven, the problem, the place, and the path. Are you ready? All right, let's get started. We begin with the problem. Why do we need to go to heaven? Is there something wrong with this world? Are Christians so heavenly-minded that we are of no earthly good? What does Jesus say about why we need to go to heaven? Verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Just a quick pause that is the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is not, I will lay down my life for you. The gospel is that God, in the person of Jesus, his son, has laid down his life for us. Verse 38, Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In the Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Now, according to Jesus, the disciples were troubled. What was it that was troubling them? Are you troubled? What is troubling you this morning? Well, first, they were troubled because Judas Iscariot had deserted Jesus. Now, we talked about this at length last week, so I won't get into it too deeply here. But I will remind you that before Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, Judas and Jesus were close friends. It is always troubling when we're betrayed by our close friends. It's especially troubling when our close friends abandon us in the moment of our greatest needs. Jesus, and to a lesser extent the apostles, were facing their darkest days. And Judas Iscariot used that opportunity not to support Jesus and encourage Jesus, but to stab Jesus in the back. Again, the, clo- the focus of this is clearly and appropriately on Jesus. But whenever someone deserts Jesus, it affects everyone else in the church. When someone that we used to laugh with and talk with and break bread with abandons Jesus, says, I'm just not interested in Jesus anymore. I- I'm going to go about this my own way. Well, that's, it's very troubling. Abandonment is always troubling. Everyone knows what it feels like to be deserted by a close friend. And I, I think that's happened to all of us. And it did happen to Jesus and his closest friends, his apostles. Now, second, they were troubled because Peter was about to deny Jesus. Jesus' words here are very, very troubling. Peter was, along with James and John, one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of his three most trusted apostles, part of the inner circle of Jesus and his apostles. Peter and Jesus had a literal mountaintop experience together. They went up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and Peter was there when Jesus was transfigured or transformed right before his very eyes. When Jesus, in his human nature, was overwhelmed by his his glorious divine nature and the light of God's glory began to shine in him and through him so that Peter and James and John could see him for as he really is. And now, Jesus interrupts Peter's very moving speech I will die for you, Jesus, if I'm the only one, if everyone else abandons you, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, to say, not only are you not going to die for me, before the rooster crows three times, before tomorrow morning, less than 12 hours from now, you're going to deny me three times. Not once. Not twice, three times. Now that number is both literal, it did happen three times, but also symbolic. Because in ancient Hebrew, when writers wanted to emphasize something, they said it twice. Truly, truly, I say to you. Amen, amen, I say to you. 
And if they really wanted to emphasize something, they said it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He, he's the fullness of holiness. There is no one or no thing as holy as he. Three times. Here, Peter is going to fail spectacularly. He's going to deny Jesus three times, which is a very troubling thing. Because if Peter can fail spectacularly, if Peter can deny his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then any of us could deny him. Any of us could say, I'm not one of his disciples. I don't belong to him. I'm not like those other Christians. I'm different. I'm open-minded. I'm accepting. I distance myself from them so that I can be approved by the world. Why did Peter deny Jesus? I think the answer is fear. Fear can be a powerfully destructive thing. I think Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid that they might crucify him right alongside Jesus. I think he probably thought, well, if I take my stand with Jesus, if I say, I'm one of his disciples too, I believe in him, they might crucify me. And I have a wife, and I have a children, and I have a family, I have to take care of them. If I publicly agree with Jesus about the moral issues of our day, I might be canceled. I might lose my job. I might lose my friends at school. I have books to sell. I have records to sell. I have tickets to sell. Who's going to come to my church if they think I'm some backwater, closed-minded, bigoted person, right? Probably nobody. It's very troubling when we think that we're the hero in the story, only to discover that we're not quite as heroic as we think we are. Let him who stands take heed lest he fall. Third, they were troubled because Jesus was about to depart. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Again, very troubling. These apostles had been with Jesus for nearly three years. He was their teacher. He was their leader. He was their friend. They ate together. They spent time together. Jesus was their everything. And now he's leaving. Can you hear the desperation in Thomas's voice? Verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? See, Jesus was supposed to be the king. He was supposed to go to Jerusalem. That's the way. The way is to go to Jerusalem. Jesus will be established as the king of Israel. And then the way is to Rome. Jesus will take an army. They will go to Rome. They will battle the Romans. They will throw off their oppressors. And they will reign together on this earth. That's the way. In Thomas's mind, and in the apostles' mind, that's the way. His way was supposed to be the way of power, not the way of weakness. His way was supposed to be the way, way of success, not the way of failure. His way was supposed to be the way of honor 
and not the way of shame. Again, very troubling, either because they didn't understand what Je- that Jesus was talking about his death, or they did understand and they disagreed with him. They didn't like it. Have you ever been troubled by the real Jesus? Have you ever attempted to remake Jesus in your own image? Some people try to make Jesus sensitive and long-haired and sandal-wearing Jesus. The kind of Jesus who never really has a crossword to say about anything. Other people want him to be a gun-toting, truck-driving, alpha male Jesus who's constantly confronting everyone and getting in people's face and stirring it up. The real Jesus is a lot harder to pin down. He says things that we don't expect him to say. He does things that we don't expect him to do. He challenges everything that we think we know about God, which can be very, very troubling. But here's the most troubling thing. Beyond the deserting and the denying and the departing, there's a desiring. The apostles were troubled because they had what we all have, which is a desire for home. Did you notice that right after Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled, he started talking to them about their heavenly home. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many rooms. Why do most people believe in some version of heaven? Because most of us know deep down on some gut level that this world is not our home. We know that there must be more than this. We know we want more than this world has to offer. One writer put it like this, a home is more than a house. A home is a place you belong A home is a place where you're totally accepted. Home is a place where you can be yourself. Home is a place where the sights and sounds and smells and the colors fit. Everybody needs a place. Everybody needs a home. That's why Jesus said to these spiritually homeless people, I go to prepare a place for you. There is a home for you in my Father's house. The problem is, we are far from home. We need a home, but we know that this world is not our home. We need a place to belong, and yet we know that this place, as good as it is, I love Pensacola. I could not love Pensacola more than I do. As great as this place is, this world and this place is not our final home. It's not here. We need heaven because our hearts will always be restless until they rest in him. That's why everybody sings about heaven. That's why we have the books and the movies about heaven. Heaven is our place. Heaven is our home. We were made for heaven. Second, the place. What should we expect when we get to heaven? Verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. 
If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you might be also. Now, you might be thinking after that description of the place, wait a minute, what happened to the streets of gold? What happened to the pearly gates? What happened to the little baby angels with little baby harps? This doesn't sound like heaven at all. Well, let me explain. These are all good questions. This passage doesn't answer all of our questions about heaven, but it does give us a tiny little glimpse of heaven, a glimpse that I hope is enough to whet our appetites. According to Jesus, heaven is like a mighty house with many rooms. First, it's a glorious house. We know that because it's the Father's house. And God the Father lives in a palace. God our Father lives in a mansion. His house makes Mar-a-Lago look like a dump. His house makes the Taj Mahal look like a rent-controlled apartment. It makes Buckingham Palace look like your college dorm room. You get the idea. The old King James Version says, In my father's house are many mansions. Now, while I'm not certain that that is the best possible translation for that word, I do think it captures the glory of the father's house, the glory of heaven. It's a glorious place. Second, there are many rooms in God's house. Have you ever been to a city where there are many little tiny ethnic communities in that city. There's a Chinatown, and there's a Koreatown, and there's a little Italy, and there's a little Germany, Germantown. In New York City, where I used to live with Kate, there was a, a Russian neighborhood, and a Greek neighborhood, and a Dominican neighborhood, and all these little Jewish neighborhoods. And in every neighborhood that you would travel, there would be unique sights and unique sounds, and unique smells, as you could smell all the different uh, aromas of all the different foods from all the different nations being prepared. You could literally travel the world without leaving the borough of Manhattan. Incredible. That's what heaven is going to be like. A diverse, beautiful place. New York City minus the smog and the crime and the crazy cab drivers. It's going to be everything great from every single culture on this earth, all together in one place, a place we call heaven. Third, you get your own room. Those of you who grew up with brothers and sisters crammed up uh, into many kids in one room, good news, you get your own room. What I mean by that is we maintain our individual identities in heaven. I point this out because in some Eastern religions, there's, it's taught the idea that we lose our individual identities in heaven. That when we go to heaven, we are essentially absorbed into the all soul. You know, we, we all become one. We're like drops of ocean absorbed into the ocean that is heaven. Now, it sounds maybe a little bit poetic, I, I guess, but what kind of heaven is heaven if you are no longer you? What kind of heaven is heaven if everyone that you love and loved on this earth simply disappears? 
Imagine getting to heaven and, and saying, where are my kids? Oh yeah, they got absorbed into the all soul. They're now little drops of ocean, uh, drops of water in the ocean. Everything I ever loved about the earth is now gone. Yay? Is that, is that it sound like a good prospect to you? Well, thank you. That's thankfully not the actual heaven. The real heaven, you are still you. Minus the folly of youth, Minus the aches and pains that come with old age, you'll be exactly 47 years old in heaven, which I am told is the perfect age. Fourth, heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. If your version of heaven does not include heaven, if your or does not include Jesus, or if heaven for you would still be heaven if Jesus wasn't there, you're not going to like the actual heaven very much. There is no heaven without Jesus. In verse 3, Jesus says, I will come again to take you to myself. What can be better than seeing Jesus? What could be better than being loved by the person who loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you? What could be better than learning from the wisest person who has ever lived? What could be better than listening to music as played and sung by the person who created music? What could be better than laughing with the person who invented laughter? You know, Jesus invented laughter Jesus, through whom all things were created, did not look down on his creation and say, wait a minute, what's that sound? we got to put a stop to this. He created laughter. He loves humor. Exhibit A, the platypus. Why would God create such an intentionally hilarious animal if God did not invent humor, if he did not have a sense of humor himself? Well, moving on. Again, I could go on and on about heaven. There's so much to be said about heaven, only scratching the surface. Let me uh, just share this quote with you from Pastor Skip Ryan. Pastor Skip Ryan used to pastor one of our sister churches in Dallas. He wrote this. Sometimes I get up before sunrise and turn on the light and read. Does anyone else do that? I do that. Get up before the sun's up, you turn on the light to read. And after reading a while, I look up and realize that the sun has come up. The sunlight is flooding the room, and the light that I turned on is now weak and feeble by comparison. I don't need it anymore. There will be a day when all the beauty that we see on this earth will pale by comparison to the beauty that we see on that day. For the Christian, death is turning off the lights because the dawn has come and the sunlight is fair and bright as it casts its glow upon the most beautiful person that we will ever see. Heaven is going to be a glorious place because of Jesus. Everything else about heaven, as great as it is, will simply be icing on the cake compared to the glory of the beatific vision of seeing God face to face. Third, the path. We'll close with this. The problem is, we all need to go to heaven, but we're not there yet. 
The person is Jesus, and the path is this. How do we get to heaven? That was a question on Thomas's mind in verse 5. It's a pretty good question. He asks, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We come to God the Father through God the Son in God the Holy Spirit. Now, Pastor Sean is going to be preaching next week, and he's going to be talking a lot about what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, so we're not going to go and do a deep dive on the work of the Holy Spirit. So come back next week for that. For now, the focus is on Jesus. He tells us he is the way. Our path is a person. Now, let me highlight three things that Jesus is saying here. I've noticed we have a lot of subpoints today. There will be fewer subpoints when we talk about hell. Okay, just a couple of points. Uh, a, hot. B, don't go there. Uh, C, believe in Jesus. That's the whole sermon. See, so you got two sermons today. One on heaven, one on hell. The heaven one is longer. I think that's appropriate, but I digress. First, Jesus is the way in the sense that he is the way from guilt to grace. Jesus is our redeemer. Jesus is our rescuer. Jesus is our mediator. All of us are guilty in the sense that we have all failed to love God the way that we should love him, and we have failed to love our neighbors the way that we should love them. We should put God first in our lives, but we don't. We should help hurting people, but we don't. We should speak up when God is blasphemed. We don't. We should speak out when people are degraded. We don't. We watch terrible movies, and we listen to terrible music, and we vote for terrible people, and we have terrible thoughts. We hold terrible grudges. And then we go online, and we blame other people for everything that's wrong in the world, as if we have played no part in this mess in which we live. It's sin. We have a terrible problem, the problem of sin. We're guilty and we deserve to be punished for rebelling against God and making a mess of the world that, that he has created. We all want to go to heaven, yes, but we are all deserving of hell. Again, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. But here is the good news. There is a way back to God. There is a way back to the garden. There is a way back home. And Jesus is the way. He is the one mediator between a holy, sinless God and unholy, sinful human beings. On the cross, where Jesus is headed, this is all preparing us for Jesus and the cross. On the cross, Jesus died as our sacrificial lamb, as our substitute, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the innocent dying for the guilty so that we might be reconciled to the God who created us. He is the way from guilt to grace, from hell to heaven, from alienation and isolation to acceptance and community. Second, sub-point B, 
Jesus is the way that we have access to God. Because of Jesus, we can go to God in prayer. Verse 13, Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. What an amazing promise. One of my old pastors, Tim Keller, who is in heaven right now, probably not listening to this sermon, but I just thought I'd shout him out just in case. (laughs) He used to say, the only person who dares wake up a king for 3 a.m. for a glass of water is his child. We have that kind of access to God because of Jesus. Jesus is the way to the Father in the sense that we can talk to God in heaven right now, anytime, because of Jesus the Son. We can ask him anything, and he will answer us. Finally, and we'll close with this, Jesus is the only way to heaven Jesus isn't one way among many ways to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. Now, in some ways, that is a very exclusive message. You cannot get to heaven through Buddha or Muhammad or Joseph Smith or L. Ron Hubbard or even Moses. In Acts 4, verse 12, we read, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In that sense, the gospel is very exclusive. Jesus is the way, the only way to the Father. But here's the thing. The gospel is also the world's most inclusive message. It's a message for failures like Peter, for doubters like Thomas. It's a message for people like James and John who could not stay awake for an hour while Jesus was praying. There's hope for some of you who fall asleep in the service every once in a while. There is hope in Jesus. It's a message for all of us. The message of the gospel is inclusive in the sense that it's a message for all who believes Here's the exclusivity of all other religions. Every other religion says the good people are in and the bad people are out. If you're a bad person, you're not going to heaven. Heaven is for good people. Heaven is for people who measure up. Heaven is for people who have done enough to outweigh the evil deeds that they have done in life. Here's the inclusivity of Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, There is nothing that can separate you from my love. Nothing. If you simply repent and believe in me, if you turn away from your old life and embrace new life in Christ, you will be received into his kingdom, not merely as a citizen, though we are, but as a son and daughter of the king. Not because of who we are, not because of what we have done, but because of who he is. Because of what he has done, that is the gospel. Jesus includes the very people that every other religion excludes. Every other religion is for the good people. Christianity is exclusively for the forgiven people. And anyone can be forgiven by believing in Jesus, who is the way.
Is your heart troubled this morning? Are you anxious, worried, or afraid? My wife, Kate, is out of town with my daughter, Lily. So that is a three-day description of my last three days. Anxious, worried, afraid. It's not been a great three days, okay? I need my wife. Uh, I'm, I'm very much uh, in a world of hurt without her in my life. So it's been tough. Anxious, worried, afraid. Now let me encourage you, and let me encourage me, frankly. It gets better. Heaven is an amazing place. And Jesus is an amazing person. No one can get to heaven without him, but everyone can get to heaven with him. He is the way and the truth and the life, and that's good news. Amen? Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way back home for everyone who believes Lord God, we confess that we are prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God that we love, that we say we love. I pray, Lord God, that you would take our hearts and heal them and restore to us once again the joy of your salvation. I thank you that you have made a way through the person of Jesus. I thank you that this world, as as good as it can be at times, is not our home. We thank you, Lord, that there is a better home for us, a home in heaven, a home with Jesus, a home with one another, the church. And I pray, Lord God, that that place would be so great and so expansive and that so many people would go there simply by believing in you, Lord Jesus, that we would look and marvel and wonder at the outstanding glory of your grace. Oh, Lord, bring your people home. And bring us home by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.